0: Hello everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider, presented by the Dallas Morning News at Sports Day. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. Yellow. Hey,
1: Evan, you don't have to what? yell.
0: There's a microphone there. And you can talk to He, he was just
1: that. He was excited. You acknowledge him first. He has a <laughs> he has a complex about that.
0: He does have a complex about I like to just kind of play with him a little bit on that. Just, you know, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't.
2: Listen, I have been coached by our um, our media experts that I need to be more peppy. I've been told that uh, I I need to have a better attitude, need to show more excitement and energy, and so here
0: I am. I I think it was Gina who told you that. I wouldn't say it was our media expert, but anyway,
2: may have been the Rangers general manager, but whatever.
0: Oh no, no, I hate to hear that. Oh, and also, you okay? But, uh, but before we get into, the, you know, Evan psychosis, uh, <laughs> let, let's let's move over here to uh, David Moore. Uh, hello, David.
1: Uh, saving the best for last on your introduction, Kevin. Thank you so much. That's that's
0: really what it is, David. But anyway, don't tell Evan that. <laughs> I don't
1: think that was it either. But don't tell
0: Evan. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, we've uh, we've got David for just a short time today. He's got more important things to do than be on I'm our short timer. I need so. to move
1: on. Let's hur- you you two hurry on. Okay. Let's yeah, go. that's
0: right. Come on uh so we're gonna we're gonna talk about other things on our podcast of course as we always do but we want to get into the cowboys while we've got david here and uh the cowboys won against sunday against the bears i don't think anybody saw that 49 point outburst coming i think that's more than they scored in about three games this year
1: <laughs> combined uh, yeah
0: <laughs> yeah so it's quite a quite a performance by the cowboys quite a performance by dak prescott considering uh considering uh, how mediocre, frankly, he looked in his first game back after the layoff, and and how horrific he looked in the, the very first game of the season before he got hurt. Uh, these are the kind of things that uh, kind of confound Cowboys loyalists and and the people who just don't like Dak to begin with. Uh, and then, frankly, it's it's difficult for those of us who think he's a pretty good quarterback to, to put a really good description on. Exactly where is he, as you know, in in his career at this point? We would think he would be closer to what he was Sunday, right? Uh, you know, he's a he's a top ten quarterback in the league, and in the NFC, David, he's he's moving up the ladder fast with uh, by by no means of his own. Uh, we're we're seeing uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, falling out. We're seeing Tom Brady fall out. Russell Wilson has gone to the AFC, where Denver doesn't know what to do with him. And uh, and Kyler Murray isn't having a good year. Uh, the, a lot of quarterbacks are really struggling in, in the NFC. And I really think that the Cowboys being at six and two and if Dak can continue to play like this, that really bodes well for the Cowboys the rest of the way.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think a lot of things to unpack there. The The first is this team is six and two at the bye week a better record than they had any reasonable expectation of achieving with Dak Prescott missing five games with some of the other key players they have injured in this stretch. But without your starving quarterback for five games to go into your bye week at six and two, and only two teams in the conference have a better record than you, and both of those teams, you play them on the remainder of your schedule. Uh, this is set up perfectly for Dallas. The other thing is, Uh, On this record, it's been defensive-driven. I think we all agree on that. uh, that The defense has been outstanding this season. But this last game against Chicago, that was the first game this season that the offense led the way to victory. Uh, Dallas came out and scored touchdowns on its first four possessions. Um, Like you were saying, the 49 points, this is a team that hadn't scored more than 25 points in any single game in the first seven weeks of the regular season. So now you have this defense as as a baseline that you know is keeping you and giving you a chance to win every single game you play this year. And now you add that offensive performance on top of it uh, to go into the bye week. And health, they're getting some key players back offensively, uh, Dak being the key among them. You you saw him much more efficient in his second start coming back off that uh, fractured thumb than you did in that first game against Detroit. And I, I I believe the optimism for the second half of the season for the Cowboys is is extremely justified. I David, think they're in a great position.
2: I would slightly disagree with you on one thing. I mean, I, I think that can we office- cut off his
1: mic? Cut off his mic, Kevin. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> I'm cutting it off.
1: Oh, um, oh, I'm sorry, Evan, Go ahead. I respect I'll, your opinion. Please. It's
2: a lot better, and obviously, um, Tony Pollard is the answer to everybody's questions. <laughs> um, but. I still think, and I, I hate saying this, but much to um, his credit, what Kevin wrote on on Sunday, you know, again, it's still Micah Parsons who's the game changer. It's still Micah Parsons who who changes the complexion of games. And did on Sunday, the question that that left me, that stayed with me after Sunday, is this. I, I, I think we we've, we've been on this kind of roll for a while. Is What's going to happen when the Cowboys meet the Eagles again? And does this game against Chicago say, look, you know, a guy like Hertz is going to do what he's going to do, but this offense has the ability to play a shootout game with the Eagles if need be, guys?
1: Yeah, I you didn't – with Cooper Rush, you didn't have that shootout component uh, in you. Uh, I think you saw that a little bit in that Philadelphia game up there. If If you could get out to an early lead, manage the game, manage the clock – um, you know, keep it close. Yeah, you gave yourself a shot. But the thing was with Cooper Rush, if you go down 20-0, like I believe they did against Philadelphia, you are really in no position to come back. Uh, at least your, your odds aren't as great as they are with, with Dak Prescott. And so now with Dak Prescott back, you can win games in different ways. Like we said, I, I truly believe Dallas is going to be in every game it plays this year because of its defense. And that's a difference in a team with a defensive identity versus an offensive identity, isn't it? If you have a defensive identity, you really do basically keep yourself in every game. Uh, offense is a little more uh, volatile by nature. And so if you're just not you know, on, hitting on all cylinders early or have some early turnovers, you fall down, then – um, I just think the teams that have a, a stronger defense are more consistent, and so I think there's a consistency to this Cowboys team that we haven't seen in in a long time. And, and now you see that this offense can be explosive. Uh, you know, we're talking about all the players uh on, on this game. I, I thought I thought Kellen Moore had a masterful game plan. Uh, just the motion he used, uh, the way he got players open. Now that leads to the inter- interesting question. Did he have a little more latitude because he did? He wasn't trying to get the ball to Ezekiel Elliott for fifteen to eighteen plays, and that forced them to be a little more creative offensively. And the defense defense didn't know how they would be attacked. I do think there's something to be said for that, but but all of these Zeke bashers, I don't know that you should take that too far. This is still a better this is still a better team with Ezekiel Elliott moving forward uh, than not. Now the question is, what sort of ratio do you want between those two guys? I, I, to me, it's been a true tandem over the last three to four weeks. But, um, you saw a difference in play calling in my mind when Tony Pollard was the emphasis in the backfield versus Ezekiel Elliott.
0: I think there were for me the and I and I agree completely about Callum Moore's. Uh, this was by far his best game of the of the season. Uh, I, I think that. For for one thing, and I think it accounted for why Dak played so well. He just plays better at, at tempo. You know, he gets yeah. in a rhythm uh, when he's doing that. I've always thought that Dak played better in a two minute offense than he does otherwise. He just seems to uh, thrive in that. And I don't know why you wouldn't go ahead and and keep him in it most of the time. Uh, I just feel like it's 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 what worked in that game. You know, we've we've said over and over again that that they need to be going to this running game. That's what worked with Cooper Rush and. Uh, And yeah, and that's true. And I think they still that needs to be the backbone of their offense. But when you're throwing these safe passes underneath, short, safe, secure type things, you know, uh, to to the tight ends, which you know, that's another big element of this team is all of a sudden three tight ends that can catch the ball. Um, You know, they haven't had that ever. You know, they've had one really good one at times, uh, but not three guys. And so uh, that allows you when you got that jumbo package with both tight ends out there you know you're not always going to run that that gives you another different element uh, of, of the of the you know the what they can do to surprise teams and the and their versatility and diversity uh, on offense i think these are all things that make them much more uh formidable certainly on offense and when uh and then obviously you know, when you're the when you're building your offense around that when you're throwing short passes and you're kind of marching down the field like that it requires that you you're not getting pre-snap penalties, right? You can't be getting behind the chain. They didn't do that in this game. So that was by far their best offensive game of the year and maybe in a couple of years. I mean, last year for a while, obviously they had the number one offense in the league, so it's hard to say that. But certainly their best one this year, Uh, it requires a lot of things to work correctly, all the pieces to work. It looked a lot like, frankly, to me, like the the Cowboys of the early 90s with with Troy Aikman. This is what they did. You know, they – they were a machine, went down the field. They didn't make mistakes. You know, they ball control, put up points. It was, it was tremendous, you know, execution. Uh, this team was able to do that against the Bears. And again, you know, I got some response from at least one reader who says it's the Bears. It's like the Bears were giving up 18 points a game and they gave up 49 yeah. against the yeah. Cowboys, 42 to the offense anyway. Uh, and the Bears have a great running game. I think that's the other thing we're going to see going forward is that. How many other teams are going to have a quarterback who can run like Justin Fields? Well, we know Jalen Hurts can. Okay, and Daniel Jones runs pretty well. He hurt the Cowboys as well, but I don't see the running offenses, uh, and I don't see the running quarterbacks in the second half of the season like they face so far.
1: No, but but the primary one is Philadelphia, right? And that's the right. team that. Uh, they have to beat on Christmas Eve at AT&T Stadium to have any chance to to win the division and be the number one seed. Uh, the way this is, is shaking down. Uh, going back though, you know what you're saying. Uh, the the hurry up offense is kind of their default. It is where Dak is the most comfortable. Uh, and you get into this like, well, why don't they use it more? You do have to be conscious of where you are in the game. Just like they were struggling a little bit on the offense in the second half. The last thing you want to do is go into a hurry up, go three and out, and now a defense that was just on the field for seven right. minutes has to go right back out there. So that is why you still have to choose your spots with the hurry up offense. And it's imperative you be successful with it. Because you put two three and outs together on a hurry up offense, you're just you're just dooming your defense to be out there for, you know, two, you know, possessions that can take anywhere from 5 to 12 minutes. So you have to be careful with that. Uh, Love the three tight end package. And actually, they they had four active in the game. Sean McEwen was also in, who's their best blocking tight end. And he he got some significant snaps. So I think they love that package and you'll see more of it. One, like you said, because all three tight ends are receiving threats. I also thought Dalton Schultz had his best game of the, of the season as a receiver being in the mix with those three tight ends. Um, It helps your run package, uh, gives you three bodies, creates mismatches. And to me, the other thing it does is it offsets the fact you still haven't established a strong third or fourth receiver. You're not getting much out of that position. And we're, we're taping this before the the trade deadline later today. Uh, the Cowboys are, are monitoring and would like to do something. If they do something, it would be at wide receiver for for a player to plug in. But but here's the key here. I, I don't think they're going to make a move unless this is a guy that you say, yes, he's definitely one of our top two to three receivers now. We're going to plug him in there. Um Otherwise, to me, it's it would be a nonsensical move and you, you would be more likely to see they have a surplus of talent in the defensive line. And yes, I actually uttered that phrase, a <laughs> phrase I could not have ever uttered over the last 18 seasons. But the Cowboys do have a glut of talent in the defensive front. And if they if they're unable to trade, like, say, a Terrell Basham or a Tristan Hill in a package for a receiver that can help them this season, I think they're still entertaining offers to move those guys for conditional draft picks that will help them going forward. So we'll see how that shakes out later today.
0: Yeah. I think to me, a guy like Brandon Cooks would be a nice addition. Um, He's, he's played in multiple systems. He's fast. uh, And that was certainly what they were hoping that Washington was going to add to them this year. And he's been hurt all year. Uh, So um, that would give them another element, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I think that, um, Uh, They would like to do things to stretch the offense, but I was a little concerned when Dak said after the game Sunday, when he threw the interception over the middle, the the CD and and, uh, uh, Eddie Jackson caught that uh, ball. He came with the mill and charged it basically and took it away from CD uh, that well. Yeah, maybe that wasn't, uh, maybe that was a little too aggressive. Maybe that was overconfidence. He he, he said all the right things. The same said, thing I- he
1: said after his first game back against Detroit, saying he learned and he wouldn't do that. But yeah,
0: and then he said, But I'm going to keep doing that. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to keep doing it. Okay.
1: But, but that's the other side of it, right? Anyone who's able to score 49 or 42 points offensively for you, the risk reward ratio varies, right? He's willing to take more risk than Cooper Rush does. What that means is it gives you a higher ceiling on what you can score, but it also increases the chances of turnovers. And we saw that right at the end of the half. And actually, I didn't think there was any way Chicago would be back in that game, especially with the Cowboys' defense. And then you looked up in the third quarter, it was 28-23, and you're going, oh, wait a minute here. This game is unfolding in a completely different manner than I anticipated.
0: Well, that's kind of what the Cowboys do. Uh, You said they played an almost perfect first half. Until the interception, in which gave yeah. them a, a, a gave the uh, the Bears a chance to put some points on the board, uh, and and it gave them a feeling, uh, and and they talked about that after the game. They felt like they were right back in it, uh, and I, and I think that some teams are probably counting on the Cowboys to make those kind of mistakes because that's what they've done, right? You know, sure. uh, if you if And That's you know the other thing.
1: Very quickly, that's the other thing. Mike McCarthy will tell you about. That's why you need big plays. The elite teams in the NFL win with big plays on offensive and defensive side of the ball because defenses are perfectly happy to sit back in a shell, cover shell too deep, and just say, okay, let's see you throw a 13-15 play drive at us. Maybe you'll do that once. You're going to do it the next possession, the possession after that. So Dallas has to be able to make some plays down the field. It just can't all be underneath in run game.
0: All right, let's say one last thing before we get out of here. Let's let's, let's embrace this uh, Tony Pollard-Zeke Elliott thing. Uh, I will say, and, and I don't think there's any question about that, I, I think that they, they are better off splitting carries uh, because of what Zeke brings to the game. He is a very punishing runner, uh, and Tony is not that. Uh, Tony does have that breakaway and I, uh, a talent, and I think the one thing that fans will say is that, yeah, but you just never know when that's going to happen, right? And if you're giving the ball to Zeke all the time, then you, you miss out on the opportunity of that one carry that Tony's going to break one. I, but, I think that at this point, the Cowboys have arrived at a point where Tony Pollard should get more carries than Zeke. But I'm thinking something like 15 to 14, 15 to 13, something around there. And then the high twenties and, and they should be running the ball about 30 times a game. Anyway, I think that they, uh, if he was getting two, two or three more carries than Tony, I think that's fine. But Th- to than your, Zeke, to your point, Kevin,
2: and, and, and David, what you, you guys have been talking about for the last three or four minutes is you talked about the tight end sets. You talked about different elements of the offense. Here's the bottom line. You spread the ball around more. You use more of your weapons. You're a much more diversified offense. We haven't mentioned the fact that Dak broke off a nice run as well on Sunday. He ran for 34 yards. You know, I just went back and looked. Over the guy's career, when he runs for more than 30 yards, this team is 12 and four. It's another element. It's not, nobody's trying to make him into a, a, a scramble guy all the time. But I think if that cuts into Zeke's carries, yes, this is a better team with Zeke involved, but does he have to be involved to the experience? Yeah, to me,
1: that's the ratio. Do you get him? Is this a better team as it evolves going forward with, with Zeke getting 10 to 12 carries a game or touches a game? And that means you get two to three RPOs uh, with uh, Dak Prescott, like you saw in this last game, it means you bump, uh, you know, Tony Pollard up. And again, let's say, you know, despite this breakout game, he still only Tony Pollard only had 14 carries, and right. 15 touches overall. He had one reception. He's never had more than 14 carries in an NFL game. He never had more than 17 carries in college. So I think we've seen what every coaching staff he's worked for has determined is his optimum range. And so all these people who want to dismiss Ezekiel Elliott, okay, now suddenly you give Tony Pollard the ball three to four to five carries more a game in those pounding, punishing situations. Is he going to be the Tony Pollard that was so explosive in week eight against chicago or is he going to be the guy that missed some time last year after he got an extended run so ezekiel Elliott is still critical on this but again it's it's the breakdown and how you go about it and i think everyone at least on the outside agrees uh that that you should see his role incrementally diminish to find the perfect
2: blend takes time it takes it it takes really the length of a a season to find the perfect the perfect blend. And, and I mean, I think they are taking steps in the right direction. And I think Sunday, because of the injury to Zeke, was a good step forward for saying, OK, these are other elements we've got to more involve in this offense.
0: That's it, boys. That's great stuff about the Cowboys. Uh, we'll see where they are uh, next week. Nothing's going to change uh, this week unless they add somebody. So if they if they do, we'll, we'll see what that is, and we'll talk about that uh, again next week. But then we'll be uh, on to our other segment. All right, Evan, we're going to talk a little baseball now. Pitchers are going to be available on the free agent market. But the number one pitcher that the Rangers need to get is Martin Perez. Uh, they need to return him to the fold. What can they do in that fashion?
2: Well, I think as we sit here, I, I haven't seen a whole bunch of proz- progress made on a long-term deal, um, and it seems that with with the season about to end sometime this weekend, he's going to be a free, a free agent. It does offer the Rangers the ability, however, to place a qualifying offer on him, and I think that is attractive, even though the qualifying offer, Kevin, would be, I think it's $19.65 million this year. It's a lot of money for one year for Martin Perez. But I also think the Rangers would much rather pay overpay for one year of Perez than be locked into three or four years if they can avoid it, because they expect their pitching pipeline to start pumping out some, uh, uh, some productive pitchers by the, by 2024. Jack Leiter, Kumar Rocker. I don't need to go through that list. We all know who they are. Um, so I I think that offers them an attractive alternative. Of course, Perez could turn down the qualifying qualifying offer go into free agency. If he does and he signs somewhere else, then the Rangers would re, would re, would get a draft pick in compensation. It also offers a possibility for Perez to come back to the table and sit down with the Rangers. And I think right now there's probably a gap of between two million and $3 million a year in terms of what the, the sides would be talking about on a longer-term extension. And maybe if Perez tests the market and doesn't find that out there maybe that's something that would would allow for these sides to, to get back together. So I think even without coming to resolution this week on a long-term deal, I think
0: there's still some attractive options with Perez out there for
2: the, for the Rangers.
0: You know, uh, I have a hard time saying that the Rangers would have enough, so many pitchers that they don't need Martin Perez. I, I think that, that Martin, at this point in his career, look, he's not an overpowering pitcher. Uh, he, he's not a guy who gets people out by throwing 98. Uh, he, he's a guy who lives by his guile and his, and his control and his placement. And the things that, or that Martin struggled with it, throughout his career was his temperament, uh, and, and losing his composure and losing his confidence and those things he established this year. And I think he established those, those things without a question. Uh, we saw it in, in start after start, after start, after start, there was no Time well, there you know, he had a couple of little blips on the radar there, but there was really no time that Martin wasn't getting by. I think that he, for the rest of his career, which as we know for left handers can just go on and on and on, uh, I, I think he's going to be a very effective pitcher. Uh, is he going to be a guy who's going to have a 280 something on ERA? I don't think so, but it's he could go up a full run and still be a very effective pitcher for the Rangers going forward. Listen, so, I, I they, think just to
2: find to to find an effective pitcher out there, it's going to cost you somewhere between 13 and $15 million per year. And I assume that is what Perez is seeking on a three-year deal. So for me, it's, it's, it's certainly fair what Perez is, is, is seeking. I think to some extent the Rangers are probably also thinking about how they're going to use their money in free agency because, look, at the top of that market, if you want to go out and get a real game changer, if you want to get a Jacob deGrom, or if you want to make a run at Carlos Radon, that's going to cost you $30 million a year or more. And so do they say, well, we're willing to let Perez go so that we can get the 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 upgrade there? The question for me is whether you get a Radon or a deGrom, you have not finished out this pitching staff. You've got to get at least two starters. And so... Am I willing to aim a little bit lower in terms of what I do for for um, the ceiling of my free agents? Maybe because you've got to be in more games with your starting pitchers than the Rangers were. The guys that I have talked to about Bruce Bochy, who have played for him, who have who have worked for him, have all talked about what a great guy this is at managing pitching.
0: But they also add one caveat: you've got to give him some pitching to manage. Yeah, you you know, we've heard uh, in over the last few years, that oh, the starting pitchers aren't as important as they used to be. It's really about bullpens now. And you can say that all you want to, but if you burn up your bullpen, it's no good. You know, the Rangers did that this year. You, you, you've got to have guys who give you innings. We just talked in a segment, right, about how the Cowboys need
2: to find the perfect blend of, of using their offensive weapons. The same thing, same principle applies with a pitching staff. Yes, bullpens are more important. And yes, starters more infrequently face a lineup three times through. But you've got to have some mix. If you just go all bullpen, you're going to blow your guys out. They're going to be worn down by the end of the season. If you do get to the playoffs, they're going to they're going to spit the bit. If you've got some degree of, of starters who can give you some innings and give you you know two or three outings in that five turns of the rotation where you don't have to overwork the bullpen, then you can kind of keep the engine humming a little bit. And I think that's the mix the
0: Rangers have to find. All right. Uh, do you want to comment on the fact that I wrote last week that the, the Rangers should uh, go after Shohei and I, I Yeah,
2: you know what? I'm going to comment on this. Um, I'm <laughs> going to comment one thing, first of all. <laughs> because, I you know, I often give you compliments here for your writing and do so also via text. But Shohei Ohtani, you listed him as a left fielder. He does not play the outfield, Kevin. He's a hey, D.A. Well, you put him out there. No, you cannot put him out there. He's a DH. Yeah, End of story. My issue on Shohei is: is this? He is a great once in a century kind of player. Can he stop? binging into my text. Can the... (laughs) You'll cut all this out, right, Christian? The question on Shohei Otani, Kevin, is if you do get an injury now, you're you're missing two spots on the roster, two really important spots on the roster. The other question on Otani is what are you going to have to pay him per year? Is that going to be $40 million to get him long-term? And if you do that, do you completely ambush your ability to have an effective farm system because of what it's going to take to trade for him? I I think he's he's a marvelous player, but I think the value in Shohei was had the Rangers been able to win the bidding for him the first time around. I think the pay for him in a trade situation – with a team having to also find a way to extend them, it's going to be too much. And it, unless you're a team that's willing to pay luxury tax and go to $250, $300
0: million in payroll, it's going to be hard to support that. All right. You know, I'm not. I trying not to be crushed that you uh, just completely shot down my idea, uh, but that's okay. Here's what I'm going to say about that, though. About the, I will say this about the farm system, because our old pal Revo took a shot at me in his uh, Facebook uh uh column jim reeves um uh, but it, it, at any rate he, he talked about the farm system and i'm going to tell you something about a general manager who's done a pretty good job winning and going to world series and that's dave dombrowski dave dombrowski now has taken four organizations to a world series four how much does dave dombrowski care about preserving his farm system
2: at this stage, not not much. I mean, you know, there was a time when he did, but but not much. I, I I do think that if you are looking, look the places that Dave has been most recently, Boston and Philadelphia. These are teams and and franchises that are all win first and win now, um, mentalities, and they've got the payroll to support it. and And I completely, I completely understand that. I do think that if you're looking to be a sustainable championship organization. Yes, you've got to have a top 10 payroll, um, but you've also got to be able to infuse your system with some talent year over year. Again, it's a blend. And I just think if you commit 40 40 plus million dollars to one player, even if he is a two-way player, I think you're just asking to, to push your payroll to a point where you better be willing to pay luxury tax. And when you asked Ray Davis about going to $200 million, not even going to luxury tax threshold, he kind of balked, right? He, the, he, 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 he made sure he cited that, hey, the two highest payrolls in baseball aren't playing this weekend, tried to give himself an out. This is not a team that's going to go to 250. This is not a team that's going to go to, to to pay the luxury tax. So it's hard for me to see how they can do that and support adding a guy like Otani um, at that kind of money. And quite frankly, it's why I have a hard time seeing how, unless the only thing they need is a number one starter, how they could be significant players for DeGrom or Carlos Rodon
0: as well. Yeah, I don't see that either. You know, I was just kind of having a little fun by throwing the old tiny thing out there just for the heck of it. What the heck? Give it a shot. Uh, I do think the the Rangers uh, are one of the few teams that could be in the market for him uh, uh, because they have a they have a top 10 farm system, which is what it's going to take to pay that. And then and they have and they're going to have a top 10 payroll. Which is going to obviously take to do that as well. So anyway, I I, I think that the Rangers uh, going forward here, obviously, you know, uh, are in the in the process of finding out what this organization can really be. Uh, and I and I think that we're going to see with Chris Young maybe something a little different uh, from what John Daniels did. I had this discussion with a Rangers official the other day at that press conference that uh, uh, that Bruce Bochy was. Introduced, and this person said, I don't know that if John Daniels was still here, that Bruce Bochy would be here. Uh, and he was not taking a shot at, at John when he said that. Uh, he said that this just kind of represents a little bit different uh, type of thinking. Um, you know, I, I, I appreciate very much what John Daniels did for this organization and uh, taking it to two World Series. I do think that John's a very deliberate guy. Who likes to consider lots of possibilities, uh, and I think he was probably better when he had people like AJ Preller around him. Uh, AJ, a very impulsive, uh, direct, let's go for it, and John more measured and let's let's consider this. I think they were a great balance for each other. Um, I think that Chris Young, from the little bit we've seen so far, is much more driven and much more decisive and sure of exactly what it is that he wants and wants to do, whether that's good or bad. And and as I, I brought up Dave Dombrowski, I think he's one of those kind of guys as well. He knows what he wants to do. He doesn't care if he makes a mistake. Let's go forward. And if it, if it, if it blows up in our faces, it blows up, but we're going forward. There's,
2: there's two things there. One, I think you're you're short-selling just one thing there. Yes, A.J. Preller was an important – Part of the dynamic here, but I also think Thad Levine was equally important. They were they were good checks and balances. AJ was very, as you said, very impulsive and very let's go for it. I think Thad was good at taking all of the ideas that came from the room and boiling it down into kind of a philosophy. And I think that was that were those were both important parts. I also want to say, look, I covered Dave Dombrowski. I know Dave Dombrowski. I know how he operated, and when he was working. When he had the Marlins, he had a guy in Whitey Lockman as a senior advisor that he turned to, and he could listen to the whole room, and then he could turn to Whitey, and he had one extra voice to do that with. In Detroit, he had Scott Reed. Both those guys were, were great baseball executives and great sounding boards. And my point here is, yes, I think that Chris Young is much more driven, and I think he is he is more willing to go down a path and take whatever risks come with it. But I do also think that as Chris Young settles more into this role atop the baseball operations department, he's going to need a couple of checks and balances as well. He's going to need some guys that he can turn to that he trusts, whether that's Ross Fenstermaker and Josh Boyd, who are both in those roles right now with the Rangers, or whether it's adding another executive. Look, As far as I know, Brian Sabian is not working for any club right now. Brian Sabian and Bruce Bochy have a a tremendous relationship. Um, Chris Young and Dayton Moore have a tremendous relationship. There are some senior advisors out there that could prove to be beneficial to Chris Young who could kind of run some of the traps and say, look, I've done this before. These are the things you need to consider. And, yeah, same thing goes. The same principle applies of blending things. You want to have perhaps maybe a little bit more decisiveness and action, but you also want to make sure you don't go so far where
0: you get to the negative element of being impulsive, right? Yeah, you know, that's what the Rangers, you know, in his in his right from the from the start, right? That's where where John was the most uh, demonstrative. The, the big the big trades, the big spices, the Chris Young trade, frankly, uh, and and they made those kind of moves, and I think he got burned by them. And I think he kind of shrank back from that as time went by I a little bit. I don't know. think
2: he ever shrank back from making trades. Look, this is a guy who in 2015 traded for Cole Hamels. He's he's made some big trades. I do think there were times when he did maybe hesitate a little bit. But I also think this guy this guy took plenty of risks. This is a guy who traded for Josh Hamilton, right? Um, this is a that, guy was not a, that was not a big risk
0: to trade for Josh Hamilton. You traded your top pitching prospect in Edinson Volquez. Uh, but but, but Edson, he was their top pitching prospect, but that was the Rangers top pitching prospect. That's not a, not what a baseball's top pitching prospect. So, and, and Edson was a fine, was a fine pitcher. He was an all-star. So, so he did, he did a good job. There was both ends of that, but I, I'm not saying that John, listen, I'm not trying to diminish what John did. I'm just no. saying that he he was not as bold and he's, he went on record as saying that I don't want to trade prospects like I did earlier in my career here.
2: The last part about, of this before we move on from the Rangers that I just want to add is, yes, John also hired three first-time managers, okay? Here's the one aspect of this that I don't have answers to that nobody has provided an answer for me. He, yes, did hire inexpensive first-time managers. First-time managers are inexpensive. Bruce Bochy, as a veteran manager, is an expensive hire. not gotten the full details on the contract, but I believe it's somewhere between Three point five 5 and $4 million per year that he's going to be making, which is about triple what Chris Woodward made. And my point here is, again, I don't know if Ray Davis has ever given this organization the opportunity to go out and say, go get a manager who's accomplished and who's going to cost you money. This is also a change on Ray's front to say, I'm willing to pay and invest for a manager that's got skins on the wall. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. That goes back to Tom Hicks as well. Because remember, when they hired Ron Washington, they were still paying Buck Showalter
0: for multiple years. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for our Rangers talk. Uh, We're going to move over now and talk a little bit college football. As we're taping this, uh, tonight will be the first uh, CFP uh, rankings that come out uh, on Tuesday night. And we expect that TCU will probably be ranked pretty high. They're seventh in the AP poll. I would say that probably sounds about right for the first CFP. They'll certainly be in the top 10. I'd be shocked if they weren't. Uh, they have played very well this year. Sonny Dykes has done a terrific job uh, of negotiating that schedule. They've played, uh, you know, uh, top 25 teams. They, they played four in a row and won all four of those games. Uh, they They've done great. What's going to be a problem for TCU going forward is that they've They weathered the tough part of their schedule. Wherever they are right now, they needed to start out high because from from this point, um, it's going to be a little difficult for them to make up ground, even if they're undefeated. Uh, So uh, they're going to have some things working against them, but we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, There's going to be a matter of attrition. Certainly, that will be a factor uh, going forward for TCU. Uh, in in the rest of the state, uh, football has not gone so well this year, Evan. Uh, Texas sorely disappointing. TCU, Kevin. Before we
2: leave TCU, and we
0: get to the poll, right? They yeah. are sitting in the AP poll,
2: and I think the key thing. And by the time people listen to this, they'll have the answer. The key thing that's going to come out in determining TCU's opportunity for the playoff is going to be: Do they end up sixth this uh, in this first poll behind Georgia, Tennessee? Michigan, Ohio State, and Clemson, or are they seventh like they are in the AP poll, one spot behind Alabama? Because if you're behind Alabama, which is already, you know, which has the quote unquote best loss on the on, on the on the radar and isn't gonna lose again, are
0: you gonna be able to jump Alabama at any point? No, I, I don't I don't think they will, frankly. I, I I have a but I have a hard time too thinking that this year. Uh, and I kind of made this point earlier that I, I felt like if the Pac-12 could mount a charge here and have an undefeated team, uh, that the committee would almost have to include them because the because the Pac-12 has been left out of the playoffs so often over the last few years. And there's been a lot of complaints about it. And that's frankly why we're, we're having expansion of the playoff to begin with, because of conferences getting left out. Uh, and and in a year where Alabama has certainly underachieved people, you know, it's great talent as always, but they've made a lot of mistakes and a lot of errors. And even in the games they won, like like when they beat Texas, uh, they got outplayed for much of that game. Uh, I was there and and saw that. And I, I do believe that if Quinn years had played that entire game, that Texas very well could have won that and probably would have won it. Um, so I have a hard time seeing Alabama making the playoff. I have a hard time seeing two SEC teams making the playoff. I really feel like Clemson's probably in a big 10 team is in Georgia will be in. And so that, that leaves you, you know, uh, that leaves you Tennessee or TCU though. Well, but, but see, Tennessee is going to be taken care of by the fact that uh, Georgia and Tennessee both can't win the East, you know, so whoever wins the East and gets in in the championship game is going to be in, you know. So I, I really think that's that's going to be the issue there.
2: And then if 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 you well, I mean that and that's that is that is an issue, and it's something the league is that the, the committee going to have to sort through because one of those teams, whether Georgia or Tennessee, is going to end up as a one loss team with the one loss being
0: to the number one to the number one team in the country. Right. Uh, I just have a hard time seeing. You know, yeah. I have a hard time seeing t- Tennessee making that lead. Tennessee's played great this year. There's no question about it. Josh Heupel's done a fantastic job with them, and the, and the quarterback has done a great job. I have a hard time in the committee saying that this is, you know, I, I, I don't know that you, we, we we all believe that that TCU or Baylor, whichever one you wanted to say, was in the first year the CFP got ripped off by not making the playoff. And, and, and we all said, had that been Texas or Oklahoma with that r- same record, Texas or Oklahoma would have been in the playoff that year. I have the same feeling about Tennessee this year. I don't see them making that kind of leap, uh, and to allow you to get two SEC teams in the playoff. Now, if it's Tennessee that wins it, right, and Georgia right. is out, do you do you do you leave Georgia out? Well, that's that's that's. I think that's harder. I think it's harder for the committee to leave Georgia out than it is for them to leave Tennessee out.
2: I mean, that's a, Tennessee and Georgia have the two best wins in football this year. Tennessee's got the win over Alabama, and Georgia's got the win over over uh, Oregon. And those are the two best wins in football so far. So
0: Yeah. All right. So let's get on to Texas A&M. What's the level of panic at Texas A&M? Uh, you know, it's it was mitigated somewhat by Connor Wegman playing so well in that loss to Ole Miss at home. Uh, I frankly thought that, you know, the fact that they lost by what? By three, 31-28. I think that that was, you know, I, I hate to say this, not an awful loss for the Aggies. Uh, I mean, going into the season, that was a, that would be a stupid thing to say, right? They they got to beat Ole Miss at home. They were supposed to be in the running for the CFP this year. Obviously, that didn't happen. The quarterback situation has been a mess. Uh, Jimbo has has not been able to produce a quarterback. Uh, you know, the quarterback that he had for most of his tenure here at A&M in his fifth year now was Kellen Mond, a guy that was left to him, uh, you know, by uh, Kevin Sumlin. So it was ridiculous that that he was not able to find himself a a consistent quarterback to fill in that role once Kellen Mom was gone. Well, maybe he has now. Uh, Connor Wegman threw for, what, 355 yards. uh, And in that game, he he played pretty flawlessly. It's a pretty great performance by a freshman in his first time out. So we'll see if he can start to kind of build back a little bit. But, you know, at this point, uh, there's there's good reason to think that the, the Aggies might struggle to be bowl, bowl eligible. I mean, you know, and if they don't do that, it's really embarrassing for for Jimbo. But here's the deal: what are they going to do? They gonna, they're going they're going to buy him out. Uh, they can't do that. They can't afford to do that. Uh, it's going to be an embarrassing year. But if Jimbo can come out of this, if Wegman can, can build on this first performance, if he can show that this is what he's going to be able to do. Uh, and if these You know, as uh, as Lane Kiffin said, you know, they had three hundred forty It's not all on the quarterback. They had three hundred forty yards rushing against the Aggies, three hundred forty yards rushing. My gosh, he said pretty good for pushing around a bunch of five stars. You know, there was a (laughs) shot across the bow. (laughs) that's
2: really out of character for Lane Kiffin. He doesn't. <laughs> yeah. <take these> shots.
0: <laughs> what a grab. I wish he was in this state, you know, what a great guy to cover all the time, right? Man, that would be great to be able to have that kind of quote to go with. Uh, but anyway,
2: I, uh, I, yeah. I could not have imagined. I, I, I could not, I just can't have imagined that the a situation
0: would be this dire, this deep into the Jimbo era. Well, me neither. I, you know, Jimbo did a great job at Florida State. You know, we can take shots at all, all you want. He won a national championship there. Holy cow! Uh, you know, that's not a, that's not a tremendous. They've, they've won a lot at Florida State. But one of the things that Jimbo always complained about is that yeah, but we, we, don't look like it. You know, our facilities aren't good. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't rate with, with all the top programs in the country. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised it hasn't worked out. I'm, I'm you know, he's, he's certainly recruited well. He's got a lot of great players. Where are they? Where are these? Where's the offensive line? Where's the defensive line? You know, we can go back to coaches to Mike Sherman uh, and say what you want about him. But man, they had some offensive lines. Those guys were they were sending guys to the NFL. If 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 the Aggies had Mike Sherman's offensive lines, well, now now you're talking, you know, and he's getting these big recruits in the defensive line. Where are those guys? Where are they playing? I do think that it's too much talent not to eventually win out. Uh, the question has always been uh, or has become for, for Jimbo at A&M is that can you dumb this offense down enough to allow your quarterbacks to be successful? Now, I don't know if he did any of that in the game against Ole Miss or not. I, the Wegman played really well. If he could play like that, it doesn't matter what else they're doing. And that's good enough. But they're going to have to be able to stop This phrase dumb, "dumb it down" because there
2: are plenty of offenses in college football that I, uh, that are successful and, they're, and, and they have some complexity to it, you know. And so maybe it's not that he needs to dumb it down. Maybe it's that Jimbo needs to like stop trying to run at a level that that quite frankly just isn't
0: grasped. That can't be grasped at the college level. I mean I just let's let's dumb it down I Evan that, that's what that's what they did that's what listen that's what Sonny dykes did uh for Mitch Duggan at, at TCU He said let's make this simpler let's let's not make it where he has to think about so much and all of a sudden he's he's in the running for the Heisman trophy. It's I what art that- it's what art Browse did at Baylor it, it, you know th- these guys when they went to the pros they were not as successful as they were in college because they had very simple offenses that worked very well.
2: I think my point is context here. When you say dumb it down to me, that becomes an issue that you've got to adjust to the players. And I feel like in this situation, it's a it's it's a question of the coach needs to better understand the game.
0: Who well, that but that is the game. The game is making it accessible to your players, Evan. You're 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 you're, you're lost in semantics here. <laughs> This doesn't doesn't fall on it falls
2: on the coach for me.
0: Well, sure it does. I'm not saying, but you have to make it easier. I'm not saying that the players are dumb. That's not what that means when you say that. And don't get lost in semantics here, okay? No, it's it's simple matter simplifying your offense and making it where it's not so difficult to grasp for these guys that they can't play in it. Simple as that. Let's let's don't get lost in semantics. All right, uh, we also have the you know the Longhorns. that, that They were off last week, but that lost Oklahoma State looks even worse now after K-State just plowed Oklahoma State in that game, 48 to nothing. My gosh, what an embarrassment for the Cowboys and Mike Gundy uh, to lose like that. I mean, after the after their loss to TCU, they're, they're saying, yeah, we'll see you guys again in the Big 12 championship game. Well, I don't think so. You know, that was unbelievable. So to me... As I watched that game in Stillwater and I was at that game, you know, it, it felt that like the entire game that Texas was the better team and obviously they, they rang up a lot of points, but the fact that they allowed Oklahoma State to get back in that game and of course win it uh, was just kind of abominable. And, and and so now this has to make it hurt for Texas even more to watch Kansas State go out and do what it did to Oklahoma State, the team that they just lost.
2: I'm just struck by the fact that both Uh,
0: landmark institutions in the state
2: of Oklahoma have lost conference games by more than 40, have lost conference shutouts by more than 40 points in the same year.
0: Yeah, it's pretty phenomenal uh, to to watch this happen. Um, Not a good time uh, for uh, Oklahoma football in general in the state of Oklahoma. And speaking of which, uh, we had not even talked about this yet, but the, But Brett Yormark, hats off to him. I I had my doubts about what kind of guy he was going to be, and I'd heard stories about him, and he's just a little bit arrogant. uh, But that's okay. Uh, If you can get things done, uh, then that's fine. He goes out, and before the negotiating window really was even open, he forced it open uh, with ESPN and Fox and signed a uh, $2.28 billion, I think it's what the numbers were, $2.28 billion extension through 2031 with those two entities, Uh, the feeling being that, well, if you wait, you're going to have other entities to deal with, right? That you can leverage against, uh, you know, Apple, Hulu, whoever, that all these streaming properties and maybe you want to wait for that kind of thing to happen. And instead, he decided, no, 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 we're going to jump out here and do this. Other conferences have done these things before. The PAC-12 did it uh, and negotiated ahead of time and and lived to regret that, uh, the, the package that they signed. I don't think that's going to be the case here with the Big 12, though. That that was a pretty big bump up, what they've got that's going to come out per school. Uh, and makes, makes frankly, it a, a viable conference uh, going forward, even without Texas and Oklahoma. And as much as I like Bob Bowlesby, and I think he's a really good guy and did a lot of good things for the conference. He told the Texas legislature last year that, well, without Texas and Oklahoma, we expect revenues to drop by 50% in our next package deal. Well, that didn't happen. Not only did they not drop 50%, they got more. So Brett, your mark, here's here's hats off to you for doing that. Evan, are you still there? Evan's, Evan is has muted, <laughs> <laughs> muted himself. I muted himself.
2: This is really good. Between the phone going off and, and everything, I muted myself so that I could I, I it, life is getting complicated
0: for me, Kevin. I think if you would just mute – you had the right thought. If you just mute yourself in general and just in, in public as well, I think that's the way to go. More just,
2: than not, you're going to win. I just want to take a moment here to apologize to the listening public for being a hot mess. That's that's all. That's good.
0: All right. But anyway, my point being about the Big 12 is that, uh, you know, the team's coming in, team's going out. Uh, there's still a possibility. I believe they could add some of the, the uh, Pac-12 teams if the Big 10 – continues its raid uh, on the Pac-12, if they should take Oregon, Washington, Stanford, Cal, whoever. If they, whoever else they say, and if it ends up being a situation where teams are adrift, I do believe the the Big 12 would still take those four-corner schools that we talked about in the past, the two Arizona State schools, along with Colorado and Utah. Uh, I I think that that is a, still a distinct possibility out there, but the feeling is now that, The Big 12 doesn't really need to do that. Because of this contract, they don't have to do that. I think that I I do think that ESPN and Fox would like for them to do that. And that's why they made this a pro rata uh, deal, which means that in fact, if they add schools, they don't have to divide up the money that they've already signed for. They would expand the contract to include those schools as well. So everybody would still be getting the same amount. Uh, That that had been an issue before in the conference when people were asking, well, why don't they, you know, when it was down to 10 teams, why don't they go up to, you know, two more teams? Why don't you keep getting bigger? Well, because they would have had to divide the pie that much more and no one wanted to do that. There was no real reason to do it, but now they can.
2: Thank you for coming to Kevin's TED Talk on conference realignment
0: and broadcast contracts. (laughs) Evan, I'm sorry that you had nothing to add to that and you muted yourself. (laughs) Sneezing Oh, you're sneezing, okay Well, that's why I got cover for all that You're sneezing, you're muting, you're dinging You've got all kinds of stuff going on here It makes it really difficult for the rest of us Who are just kind of on the periphery of your performance here
1: so, I, I'm a hot
0: mess, Kevin Yeah, you are all right. Uh, from everybody in here to everybody out there, we thanks. Uh, uh, we, we thanks. We thank you for coming out. And or, or, We well, didn't have to come anywhere. All you had to do was just turn on the podcast. But we thank you for doing that. And we, we hope that you'll be back with us next week. Uh, and if not, you know, I understand completely. Uh, but from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks. And we'll see you next time.